Psalm 103 in your Bibles, please. On this Sunday prior to Thanksgiving, considered Psalm 23 this morning, a very familiar psalm. Psalm 103, perhaps uh, quite familiar as well to many of you. There's an operative phrase in Psalm 103, which hits very close to home as it relates to a measure of thanksgiving. The phrase that we'll find at the beginning and at the end, bless the Lord. A call to God's children to acknowledge the goodness of God in word and in deed. And this is where I hope our hearts will be drawn unto this evening, a distinct acknowledgement of the benefits, the blessings, and the goodness of our God. As I did this morning, I'll do also this evening, it's a little bit longer, but I'm going to read all 22 verses of the psalm for you, and then we'll start to break it down verse by verse. The Bible says this in Psalm 103, a psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his way unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone. And the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his that do his pleasure, Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The psalm begins, verses 1 and 2, a psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. As is common among the psalms, the, the first verses give us the thematic focus of the psalm itself. And this is a psalm calling my soul, your soul, all that is within me to bless God's holy name, to acknowledge God with every fiber of my being and wholly invest myself in 
God's praise. And as a part of this call to bless the Lord, it is that we would forget not all his benefits. You know, as a parent, one of the things that I try to guard myself against because it's a very easy thing to fall into is um, to regularly remark upon my children's flaws, to take note of when they do something wrong, but fail to acknowledge when the children do something that is right. Fail to acknowledge when my children uh, do that which I have asked or expected them to do. And this is because when they do right, I feel like things are happening as they should, right? So everything feels right, everything feels normal, and so it's not really remarkable. It's not really notable. Uh, this is something that is common as it relates to um, what, what reviews. We live in a culture where you can get on the internet and you can read a bunch of reviews, and I, I, I trust that many of us at this point are to the point where we know how to weed through bad reviews and whatnot. But one of the things that you know in, in, in various elements of, of consumer marketing and such is that um, people are far more likely to complain than they are to commend, right? You're far more likely to see a review if things go wrong than you are to see a review when things go right. Because if things go right, then people, it's, it's happening the way they expect. Things are just, they're right. I got the product, it did what it needs to do. No need to remark about it, but if something goes wrong, then I'm going to tell everybody. Um, my dad used to have this, this uh, idea or, or, or this, this, this thing that he would, he would say when he'd go up to someone, especially in a customer service oriented idea. He, he, he worked in, in customer service in, in a manner of speaking. And the concept was, if, if something goes right, a person will tell 10 people. If something goes wrong, they'll tell 100, right? And so you want to please the customer because there's uh, significant more damage to, to something going wrong than even benefit of doing it right. And as a parent, it would be a fundamental error, it is a fundamental error on my part, if I fall into this rut of always observing when they do wrong and remarking when they do wrong with, while simultaneously failing to observe when my children are faithful, when they show integrity or initiative, when they tell the truth. I'm always quick to, to let them know when they've told a lie, but it's important to commend them when they tell the truth. And the same can be said with God. One of the reasons why this week is so important is because, and we talk about this somewhat regularly when we speak of prayer, it's not uncommon for us to tell God when we have needs, fears, concerns, desires, when things are going wrong. It's perhaps less common, or maybe at least less natural for us, to spend time thanking the Lord when things go right. To spend time acknowledging the Lord's goodness. Things are happening the way they're supposed to. Things are happening the way I want them to. Things are happening the way I expect. And so we kind of lose sight of the giver in the times of plenty. When things go right, we often fail to acknowledge these right things as an extension of the hand of the Lord. And when things go wrong, of course, God regularly hears about it. And, and this psalm is a call for God's people to not forget God's benefits, the rewards of being a follower of the true and living God. This morning we talked about the joy that we can have 
in the, the confidence and the fearlessness of knowing that the shepherd is by my side. That whether in times of good or in times of ill, times of evil, as the Bible would say, bad times, good times or bad times, we can trust that the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not want as long as the Lord is my shepherd. This evening, I want us to think about those times when he leads us to the green pastures and the still waters. And in those times where we're not necessarily walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but rather, as our brother mentioned in prayer, things are in a place of wellness. Do you remember to bless the Lord? Maybe things are well right now. We've got you know, plenty of issues as it relates to the broader narrative of what's going on. But it's quite possible, and I know with some of you, it's quite a reality that things are well. Don't forget the Lord in those times. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. And some of these benefits are enumerated in verses 3 through 5. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. We find here a list of five benefits uh, that, that are spoken to as it relates to uh, the, the soul of this one who is contemplating his life and his relationship with the Lord. And the first, naturally, that he forgiveth all thine iniquities. There are three general words that the Bible uses to speak of wrongs against God. Sin, transgression, and iniquity. And these all actually do mean a slightly different thing, though they're oftentimes used somewhat interchangeably within the scriptures. Sin speaks, it literally means to miss the mark. It's an archery term. It's a term of, of, of uh, accuracy or target shooting. And we say, there, there are many different ideas about what that mark is, but uh, we know that mark from Scripture. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin, right? So we are missing the mark of faith in the will and the word and the character of God. That God has said things, God has demonstrated things, God has announced his intents and his desire, and I sin when I fall short of having faith in that system, in those desires, in that intent. Then we have the word transgression. And the word transgression speaks of intentional rebellion. Whereas sin can happen simply by uh, the frailty of my own being, right? The fact that I, as we'll see here a little bit later in the psalm, that we are, we are dust, right? That, that I have feet of clay because we are but dust. Transgression is something that, that reflects something uh, in, uh, far more intrinsically willful. Rebellion. Knowing where the line is and purposefully crossing it, like what might happen with children sometimes. Uh, we have a, on our driveway, we've got a, 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 not a very long driveway, but a reasonably long driveway, but our driveway meets a very busy road. And so in order to allow my children to still play, we have a couple of side markers in the driveway, and then I, I spray paint a line across the driveway that's a good 15 feet back, 10 feet back from the road. 
And I tell my children, that is the line. When you're, if, you're, if you're riding your bike up and down, you do not cross that line. There's a nice buffer there. There's bushes. There's everything else. So that a car, even if a car kind of goes crazy and ends up in the shoulder, whatever the case may be, they're not going to hit one of my children as my children are playing out on the driveway. And it is a, a wonderful exercise to remind the children of that line, and especially those small children. My, my older ones are pretty good at it at this point, but to watch them go up and their toes right on the line, I mean, as close as they can, and, and, or they'll bring their bike, and their bike will just right up on the line there, and then they'll kind of look, and they'll go, scoot that much over the line, right? And, and they, they, they have to go over the line. They have to cross the line, or one foot Boop, you know, one foot across the line, they have to get across that line. There's this urge, there's this desire to transgress, right? To rebel. Uh, they're not, they may not get close to the road, but, but, but it's still, it's just, as, it's just as wrong, right? It's just as much a transgression. It is a heart of rebellion. Crossing that line that you know is there. And then finally, iniquity. That's the word we see here in the text. And this word speaks of bending or twisting or perverting something, uh, God's will, God's, God's way, God's design. It's that idea of rationalizing what God has said and then taking it and twisting it to fit me, right? That I'm going to take what God has told me and I'm going to find the loophole. I'm going to find the rationalization. I'm going to say, that's what God said, but that's not what God meant. What God meant is this, so I'm okay, and so we, we see these things here. And again, we'll see all of these words used. In many of the Psalms, you see them used. And you see them used interchangeably. So I'm not going to get too deep into the weeds of the technicalities between them. But he says here, who forgiveth all thine iniquities. And we are reminded of the great benefit of following God. And that benefit is, and don't miss this, we're going to talk about it actually next week as well in, um, in 2 Timothy in the morning service. The benefit of forgiveness. Consider with me today the absolute joy, the absolute release of forgiveness from a guilty conscience. We talked this morning a little bit in, in Psalm 23 about all the different voices that people listen to, other voices than the true shepherd and the promises of those voices. And we think throughout history, and one of the, the great voices that people listen to that other than the true shepherd is the voice of religion. Now, religion is not in itself an evil thing. The Bible says that, that religion is not an evil thing. But it can become, as any virtue can, a vice when brought out of balance. And one of the reasons why religion is so alluring is because it, it gives a system whereby a person can seek to earn something in themselves without the humility and without having to do those things unto a release from the guilt of their conscience. People that are seeking to release, to have some measure of, of relief from the guilt that they rest under, and they're seeking for a release from that guilt by working as hard as they can penance and actions and efforts to undo what they've done, to feel some weight lifted off of them from the weight of what they know to be their shortcomings and their failures. 
What a joy it is to have found that release, not in our efforts, not in our capacities, not in having to work hard to undo what we have done, but in what Christ has done on the cross. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And the weight, burdens are lifted, the song says at Calvary. And the weight is lifted off of us because Jesus bore it already so that God may be just and the justifier of those who come unto him. Don't, in this Thanksgiving week, don't overlook that he has forgiven all thine iniquities. What a benefit. But not only are we forgiven, he then says here, who healeth all thy diseases. And this is more wonderful still. The idea of healing our diseases speaks well beyond just the physical. Uh, one of the greatest things about being a pastor is the blessing of watching a person go from being ensnared in the depths of their own sinful choices, the consequences of living in those sinful choices, to understanding the reality of God's forgiveness, accepting that, that, that reality through the finished work of Jesus Christ, and then watching their body and their soul and their spirit heal over time from the ravages of their sinful lifestyle and choices. To watch a person's wounds heal, to watch a person's heart soften, their life change, to watch a person who was like a, a, a dog, a hungry dog backed into a corner, ready to nip or bark at anything that might come near them, to someone who is so defensive, so afraid, unwilling to trust, unable to trust, and then to see how God over time heals their wounds and brings them to a place where they can love, where they can serve, where they can release. It's a great consolation of ministry. And this healing is all of ours to enjoy. That no matter where we have wandered, there's always a way to come home. And once we begin to follow, not only are we healed, but then we see in verse 4, who redeemeth thy life from destruction. The way of righteousness protects us. This idea, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That as we walk those paths of righteousness for his name's sake that we spoke of in Psalm 23 this morning, you see the benefit, the safety. A couple years ago, my wife and I made the perilous, dangerous, uh, perhaps foolhardy decision to try to drive down to her parents' house in Atlanta in late January, early February. You know, you, you're always rolling the dice in those situations, and, um, and it just so happened that the day we left was a major snowstorm. And uh, so we left, and fortunately our vehicle is all-wheel drive, and it, was, it, was, it did well for us but you see all of the cars on the side of the road as you're driving. And there was only one lane, you know, it was a big old highway uh, going down 94 through Wisconsin. Big old highway, but one lane. Everything else was snow. 
and only one lane had been plowed through and you're following lights sometimes in front of you and you're seeing car here, car there, car there, car there. And you keep your hands on the steering wheel and you keep focused and you say, kids, be quiet. I've got to focus here. And you, you, you stay on the path. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You're just looking for those treads. Who redeemeth our life from destruction. If it had not been for the Lord, where would you be? If he had not diverted your path, that path that you were on at one time, where would that have led you? Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. You know, in this Thanksgiving week, a lot of things to thank the Lord for. Don't forget to thank him for diverting your path, for the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Young people, I know you don't understand. You, you, I, I, in, in, in many ways, so too I. I was saved at a young age. We don't fully comprehend that. But you can still see those cars on the side of the road. You can still see those lives that have been diverted. You know them. You, you know people, if it had not been for the Lord, where would you be? Where might you be? Knowing your tendencies, knowing your personality, knowing your character, knowing your flaws, where might you be? Number four, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. The goodness of God that leads us to repentance. I love the idea here of the Lord crowning us with his tender mercies. The idea of a crown, of course, that royalty, but that beautification, right? That glory, that's the idea, is that when a crown is placed upon someone's head, that is his glory. It is a representation of his position, of his inheritance, and of his glory, the crown that is on his head. Your glory, Christian, is God's goodness. We walk around and we all have our things that we're proud of. I'm proud of, uh, uh, the other day I, I uh, was working on Robin's car and I had to do it, make a, a, I had to, to solder a few wires together. It's a very difficult area, it was a very difficult situation, but it worked. I did it, plugged in the light, turned it on, and it came on. That, I was pleased. I was very, very pleased that that worked. Very proud of that, because it was not easy. We, 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 we carry around the things that, that, we, that we're proud of, right? We, we, we wear them like badges of honor, something that went well, something uh, that we worked hard for, something that we built ourselves, something that, uh, that, that has a measure of it that we have invested ourselves in, and you look at it and say, that's something that I can be proud of in the, the right sense of fulfillment, right? David, right here, describes blessing the Lord because God has crowned us. The thing that we carry around of which we can find most fulfillment in. That he has crowned us with loving kindness and tender mercies. That I find my fulfillment in the very reality that I am forgiven of my iniquities. I am healed of my diseases. I am redeemed of destruction. And this is worth praising the Lord for. This is the crown of my glory. It's the Lord's goodness. 
I have nothing to boast in myself. But in the Lord's goodness, I will boast all day. Number five. Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Satisfaction does not always speak of wealth, but it does speak of contentment. Echoing the idea of Psalm 37, 25, where the psalmist says, I have been young and now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. The benefit of following the true and living God is a life of satisfaction, being able to trust that God has and will provide for his own, and so living in contentment. Isaiah 40 calls this waiting upon the Lord, right? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. A very similar idea here that we see in Psalm 103, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. A life, a vitality, a strength, and beauty of life that accompanies the man whose spirit is tended unto by the true and living God. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. Right? It's not that God has given us everything that we want, but it is that God has given us everything we need. And so we are satisfied with these good things. Now, beginning in verse 6, David then contemplates the faithfulness of God in his grace towards sinful men. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his way unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. God is faithful, is he not? First, in that he is the great judge and he is faithful to judge. He brings justice for those who are oppressed. He fights for those who cannot fight for themselves. He has a particular love, and you see this all throughout, particularly the Old Testament, also the new in, in the ministry of Jesus Christ. He has a particular love and care for the weak and for the innocent. And by the way, he calls for us to have the same. Now, within the scope of these verses, verse 17, or verse 7, excuse me, is very interesting to me. Verse 6 speaks of God's love for the oppressed. Then verse 8 speaks of God's long-suffering, his grace, his being slow to anger, his being plenteous in mercy. And as we'll see, that's going to continue through verse 14. And stuck within them is this statement. He made known his ways unto Moses and his acts unto the children of Israel. And this is a statement taking the, the things that that. Is, are being spoken here by David and bringing them home, making them hit home with Israel. If I were to ask, uh, uh, wax eloquent for a few moments about how God answers prayer and how God is faithful, and at some point as I exclaim all of these eternal truths about the nature of God's faithfulness to answer the prayers of his children and to bring about in his time and in his way his goodness, I might look out at this group and say, remember how we got this piano? And those of you who were here at that time would, would know exactly what I mean and would be able to connect the goodness of God and his faithfulness in answering prayer to a particular set of circumstances as it relates to the piano that we enjoy 
Sundays and Tuesdays. And this is very much what David is doing here in verse 7. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all them that are oppressed. Israel was a deeply oppressed people, were they not, in Egypt? God executed judgment for them, the plagues. This was God judging Egypt on behalf of the oppressed. And then over these next several centuries, as we see the ups and the downs of the kingdom, the time of the exodus, uh, the 40 years of wandering, the days of the judges, uh, how can that be described any other way than long-suffering, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy, right? In this expression, David is eager to remind the singers of this psalm just how personal these blessings are to their history, to their character, to, to, to their roots, that from the very beginning, God has been this way and it has personally, directly benefited them, not just in the short term, not just in their own lives, but in the history of their nation, in the very legacy that, that identifies them. God has been merciful, gracious, very slow to anger, and abundant, plenteous in mercy. Whether you and I want to think in the short term or the long term, we cannot but see God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness in the country that he has put us in. God's faithfulness in the families he has put us in. God's faithfulness to bring us through trials, tribulations, difficulties, even in those circumstances, whether it be the nation, whether it be your family, whatever it might be, God's faithfulness to you. I remember talking to a man once, and he had a very hard past, and he had been an alcoholic, and he had been in the military, and he gives his testimony, and while he was in the military as an alcoholic, he overheard a conversation between two guys about the gospel. And he says, and I only overheard the conversation because I was already a lost cause. No one would ever share it with me. And he overheard this conversation and he was gloriously redeemed, saved by the blood of the lamb as he put his faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And as he gives his testimony, he finishes, he, he always finished this way when I've heard it. For all of the ups and downs, I wouldn't have changed a thing. Because all of those choices, both bad and good, put me in that room at that time to hear what I needed to hear when I was receptive and I accepted Christ and everything changed. So I wouldn't have changed a thing. God has been good to you, Christian. Plenteous in mercy. The description of God continues in the verses that follow, verses 9 through 12. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities, for as far or for as high as the heaven, excuse me, is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. God will not always chide. That means he won't always contend. He won't always quarrel. He won't keep his anger forever. Not only is God slow to get angry, but he's quick to release it. Isn't that a wonderful thing? He's slow to get angry and he's quick to release it. And then in verse 10, the most beautiful of truths, he has not dealt with us after our sins. 
nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. God has not treated you the way you deserve. Pastor, I'm a pretty good person. No, you aren't. Well, then, Pastor, point to a sin. I, I can't, but I, I, I can't see your heart either. And I know they're in there. The Bible tells me they are. And you know what? God has not dealt with you according to your sins. God has not rewarded you according to your iniquities. God's been good to you, Christian. God's been good. And this is mercy. Imagine having all power in heaven and on earth. Imagine giving them an entire very thick book about what, who you are and what you expect. and seeing what men do with it. Even those that have chosen to follow you, even those that have the Spirit of God to empower them, he's been merciful, Christian. He's been long-suffering, and he's been gracious. And this mercy is plentiful for all, but magnified, there is no doubt, in the lives of those that fear him. For unto these God has not just deferred his anger, but unto those that fear his name, God has removed your transgressions from you as far as the east is from the west. They're gone. They're gone. When the world thinks of greatness, they think in terms of might. They think in terms of power. They think in terms of dominance. Greatness on the football field is dominance, right? Greatness in military is dominance. Men who have such might as to not be pushed around, men who can, who can set the agenda, who can make the demands. But the greatness of our God is not in that he exercised his power to get his way. The greatness of our God is that in having such might and such power and such majesty and such holiness, he has condescended to men of low estate. He has lowered himself to love us. He's been good to you, Christian. Verses 13 and 14. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. The psalmist likens God unto a father who though his children reflect immaturity and selfishness, the nature of their condition as a child, the father is patient and loving and pities them. He reminds them again and again and he teaches them the lesson when they forgot it because he's well aware of their weaknesses. As a father, I know my children are children. They're young, they're immature, they're learning. They don't have the greatest attention spans. They've got a lot of wiggles on a Sunday to get out. Their bodies are going through tremendous changes. It's amazing how fast they grow, isn't it? How quickly their bodies are growing. Imagine what that, I mean, it's, it's hard to remember back to that, right? When we were growing up instead of out. And in that time, you know, the bone pain, and the, and, and the weariness and the go, 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 and then just stop, right? When your children are exhausted 
And so, I mean, when I'm tired, I get grumpy. Imagine how tired they must be or how grumpy, how, how tired they must be and how grumpy they, they, they would be when they're tired. When I'm hungry, I get grumpy. Imagine how much more when their bodies are burning all those calories. And so I have to understand these things, right? And then as they get into their, their uh, years, 12, 13, 14, 15, hormones are doing crazy things in their bodies. They're changing. And I have to understand these things. It's not a, a reason for me to let them do what they want, right? But it, it's a factor that's involved in, in their behavior and their thinking and their intents and their, and, and their desires. And, um, you know, my boy, he wants to be a man. He already wants to be a man. He compares himself to me. Dad, were you this strong when you were my age? Were you as good at this when you were my age? Because he, 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 he wants to be a man. And yet, there are these limitations that are upon him because some things just take time, right? You can't cheat that system. And you know, God knows. He knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. All of these things with my children call me to be patient with them, to be gracious unto them, to understand the difficulties that they're going through and treat them in a measured way. And God does the same to us. Isn't that wonderful? God doesn't lay the hammer down every time. He knows. He knows when you're tired. He knows when you're hungry. He knows when, you, when, when, when you're distracted. He knows. And, and again, not all, and th these, aren't, these aren't excuses, but they're reasons. God knows. He knows how weak we are. He knows how frail we are. He knows how very human we are. And once again, what overwhelming love and mercy that the immortal, invisible, only wise God not only knows you, but he factors what he knows of you into how he treats you and he pities you. Christian, there's a lot to be thankful for this week even outside of the physical, even outside of the circumstances you find yourself in with your family or the circumstance you find yourself in with your job or the circumstance you find yourself in financially or the circumstance you find yourself in uh, with your health, there's, there's a great deal to be thankful for, Christian. I think of David's words in 1 Chronicles 17, 16. And David, the king, sat, uh, came and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is mine house that thou hast brought me hitherto? David was brought into a place of peace and of rest, a united kingdom, the promise of a seed that would, that would continue beyond him. And he says, Lord, who am I? Have you ever kneeled alone with God and asked those words? Contemplating the blessings which surround you, maybe physical, maybe not, maybe just spiritual, the mercy of God poured out upon you and, and then just overwhelmed and blessed, simply cried out, Lord, who am I? That you have chosen me, that you have given this to me, that you have blessed me. Why not that guy or this guy or that girl or this girl? Why, why me? Who am I? That as a father, he has shown pity upon you and I who are so weak and selfish and unworthy. 
And yet, beyond that, he's blessed me bountifully. And David continues this contemplation in verses 15 and 16. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. And this reminds us who we are. Your days are as grass or as the flower of the field. You flourish for a time, and then you wither, and you fade, and you're gone. Your memory is fleeting. Your impact is limited, and then you are no more. We don't elevate ourselves beyond what we are. We don't give ourselves more important than we ha- what we have. But thank God that God does not treat us that way, right? It's one of those amazing things because as you think of the grass of the field, the flower of the field, they function for us, right? Which means those flowers, they grow, and uh, if, if my daughters have anything to say for it, we cut that short, right? Literally, we cut those out and we put them in a vase so that they can be pretty in our house, but they're going to wither a lot faster that way. But we cut them short because they're just flowers. There's plenty more where those came from. But you know, God doesn't treat us that way, does he? He doesn't say, well, you're just a human. I'll just, you know, like, like, like a tool, like, like, like a cheap tool that you'd buy, you know, just to use once. Hey, you, you, you get the tool and you let it, you don't, you don't take care of it and you, you leave it out in the rain and it rusts because that's ah, just cheap and it's a throwaway tool anyway. We, we are... We are very temporal, aren't we? But the amazing thing about it is that God doesn't treat us that way. The very hairs of our head are numbered, the Bible says. You're valuable to God, Christian. Though you are as the grass or as the flower of the field, which shall fade away like that in in, in the reckoning of history, you have value individually to God. And this should not well us up with a sense of pride or entitlement in the sinful pride way. Much to the it becomes the crown of our glory, right? In that fulfillment sort of a way. But much to the contrary, humility is the call of the day. But, but maybe I'll use a different word here. Thankfulness is the call of the day. This humility and this thanksgiving is magnified in the tremendous contrast between the reality of what man is and the reality of who God is, which we see in verses 17 and 18. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children to to such as keep his covenant and to those that remember his commandments to do them. Though man is frail, though man is fleeting, though there is nothing of true value in the essence of our frail and limited and temporary beings, yet the mercy of the Lord is upon them that fear him. Yet to those who fear his name, to those who keep his commandments, we find a opportunity of value well beyond ourselves. And not only upon a single generation, but from generation to generation upon those that fear the Lord. 
and who remember his name. Not only do we have the opportunity to be in this life for that, this very frail temporal time that we have, something of value to the kingdom of God, but we have the opportunity to pass that legacy down to the generations that follow so that by God's grace, it's possible that Legacy Baptist Church could see our children's 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 children still following the Lord. To see a legacy built up over generations of impact for the kingdom of God as the, from the fruit of our loins. And so the call is to remember the Lord that we might realize and not forget all his benefits. The psalm finishes with an acknowledgement of God's great dominion over all things in heaven and earth and a call for all of those things under God's dominion to bless him, to praise him. Verses 19 through 22. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The idea of blessing is not synonymous with thanking. To bless the Lord is to, to enact ourselves or act toward him with a manner of thanksgiving, but it is the idea of serving him, right? It's the idea of yielding ourselves to him. By fearing him and by keeping his commandments in light of his goodness, through thankfulness, we bless the Lord. So this final statement begins by acknowledging that the kingdom of God rules over all, that nothing in heaven or upon earth is beyond the authority of our God. And so David sings, Bless the Lord, ye his angels. These that are fitted for God's praise. These that excel in strength. These that have been specifically designed and created in the, in the, the, the breadth and length of the created order unto God's service and unto God's praise. They who live and operate according to God's will and his being. David says, bless the Lord, ye his angels. Then he says, bless the Lord, all ye his hosts. There are some who would regard the hosts here as lesser angels, as we see the description. Others who would see them as human. Within this context, it makes the most sense to me to see this as God's chosen in Israel. Those who have aligned themselves with him among his people. He says, those of you, you who see who God is, you who know what God has done for you, just as the angels in heaven bless the Lord, they serve him in fear, they align themselves with his commandments out of a, 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 a love for who he is and what he has done, ye who are forgiven of, uh, of your iniquities, ye who, who have been blessed with these good things, bless the Lord. And then finally, in verse 22, all his works and all places of his dominion bless the Lord and then as personal as you can get David doesn't forget bless the Lord oh my soul 
and all that is within me, bless his holy name, we started. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. This is the objective of the week into which we enter, Christian. Don't forget how good God has been to you. Don't forget God's mercy. Don't forget God's patience. Don't forget the release, the spiritual freedom under which you operate through God's forgiveness. Don't forget that you have a companion so that you'll never, ever walk alone. Don't forget that the Lord is your shepherd. Don't forget the faithfulness of God in those times when you have failed to be faithful to him. Don't forget that he knows your frame and he remembers that you're dust. Don't forget his pity. Don't forget his long-suffering. Don't forget his patience. Don't forget his gentleness with you. Don't forget the physical blessings that you have. Don't forget the family of God that we enjoy here. Don't forget the, the, the blessings that you enjoy in the physical. And then bless him. Bless him. Praise him. Fear him. Obey him. Certainly he's worthy of it. With all that is in you, bless his holy name. Don't allow the opportunity of thanksgiving to pass merely in family and food and fellowship. Bless the Lord, Christian. Spend time alone with him, thinking of his greatness, contemplating his goodness, and bless the Lord. Spend time as a family together, thinking through his faithfulness, and bless the Lord. David wrote in Psalm 33, verse 1, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise unto the Lord is comely. It's appropriate, it's right, it's good, and it's the least that we can do. It's our reasonable service. For we who are, for who are we without God? And what is God that he would condescend to men of low estate? Nevertheless, he has. Nevertheless, he is good. Though we are not worthy, he loves us. And specifically, because we are not worthy, he sent his son to die for us. Through his son, Jesus Christ, we have not only been favored, abundantly favored, not just made a unique and blessed servant, but as we'll see in the weeks to come in Hebrews, we've been made adopted children of the living God. God hasn't just left us on the porch of his kingdom. He has invited us to the table. And for all of this, we bless the Lord. And we bless him this week, for this is the focus of this week. And then, of course, in all things, and at all times, we bless the Lord, whose kingdom and dominion rules over all. He's worthy. In this week, let's be careful, deliberate, that the week of Thanksgiving not just be a label, but a reality in our lives. Let's close in prayer. Thank you for listening to Pastor Jamin Wickler from Legacy Baptist Church in Buffalo, Minnesota. 
More information about Legacy Baptist Church and a library of sermons are available at www.legacybaptistchurch.net.